Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me tonight for our 100th episode is the entire crew. We have Andy. Hi. Jara. Hello. And Grace. Hey, nerds. So before we get into our main topic, we have our little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. To join us, you can visit patreon.com slash womenatwarp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash womenatwarp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And our final announcement is that our book club pick currently is the book compiled by Gene Roddenberry's secretary, Susan Sackett, called Letters to Star Trek. So we're really looking forward to talking about that in the future. We're always thinking about the future. As a sci-fi podcast, it's kind of our thing. So for our 100th episode today, we will be speaking about the greatest Star Trek movie of all time, Galaxy Quest. (laughs) (laughs) It is so good. It it has been voted that at Star Trek Las Vegas before. Well, it was voted seventh best at Star Trek Las Vegas. It's a sliding scale. Yeah. (laughs) Also, we've got to, like, have larger polling numbers, I think, aside from just the one group of people who were in that room that one time at Star Trek Las Vegas. At that one panel in that one room at that one convention. (laughs) No joke. I know, like, two people who just wandered in and out during that panel. (laughs) They were like, if we knew this was going to be reported on so much, we would have done something. (laughs) I do think it's, like, I I think it's cute that it, it made the list, but it's not a Star Trek movie. Just saying. If it's not a Star Trek movie, why are we talking about it on our Star Trek podcast? (laughs) Because we can do what we want. We can break any rules we want. This is our podcast. We have put in 99 episodes, guys. That's true. (laughs) This is the we do what we want level. (laughs) Even if you don't consider this a Star Trek movie, I think that there is a very strong argument that this is a movie about Star Trek and Star Trek fandom. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, 110%. For sure. If you haven't seen the movie, you might want to pause the episode and go watch it first. Otherwise, this whole episode is just going to be very confusing and not that entertaining for you. Full of spoilers. Also, why haven't you seen Galaxy Quest and what is wrong with you? Seriously, what kind of nerd are you? (laughs) Bad one! I'm calling you a bad nerd. Shame. Fake. Fake. <laughs> okay, are we are we done yelling at our audience? Uh, Do I get one more? Do I get one more? We're waiting for it. I rebuke thee. Okay then. So, <laughs> so this is the 1999 film starring Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Tony Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell, and Daryl Mitchell. That clearly parodies Star Trek and Star Trek fandom. It won the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation and the Nebula Award for Best Script and was also nominated for 10 Saturn Awards, including Best Sci-Fi Film, Best Director, Best Actress, etc., etc., etc. And as we mentioned, voted 7th Best Trek Movie by a panel at Star Trek Las Vegas 2013. This is a, a beloved film in the Star Trek fan community and even among uh, the actors as well. So, yeah, it might not be a Star Trek film, but you kind of have to have watched at least some Star Trek to get it. Or be familiar with the whole, with Trekkies in general. I watched it several times before I saw Star Trek and enjoyed it. That must have been so surreal, though. It wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, like, I feel like Star Trek as a cultural phenomenon is so recognizable to anybody who has any sort of sense of fandom anyway. I saw it several times before I'd I'd ever seen an episode of Star Trek, and it's still really funny and enjoyable. Oh, for sure. But do you feel like you notice more things now that you're like, I get the reference? Oh, yeah. The the meaning is much deeper, and then a lot of the jokes land a lot better now Mm -hmm. that I know what they're making fun of. Like, the Grignac is so hilarious (laughs) to me now. And I mean, I 
I've watched it several times before I saw Star Trek and I watched it once when I had seen TNG and some of TOS, but not Star Trek V. So like, I mean, the more of Star Trek I see, the more that movie is hilarious. But it is nice that they did make it so it's understandable, even if you are not a Trekkie, because I've certainly saw and understood and enjoyed it a lot. So that's nice. That's hard to do, I think. And even beyond the subject matter, the movie is held together by such a good ensemble cast. And I, I would, I'm as shocked as you are to hear myself saying, wow, nice work about Tim Allen. But there you go. <laughs> Everyone involved is funny in a slightly different way, but it all works together so cool. And you get to see a bunch of up and coming actors who, well, obviously weren't up and coming then, although I guess they were. <laughs> this was their uprising. We'll leave it at that. Like, you could see Justin Long, Rain Wilson, and wee little baby Corbin Blue is even in there. A high school musical. <laughs> well, and for our main NSEA protector cast, yeah. pretty much everybody is a sci-fi noob except for Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who apparently had to be, who had to fight to be seen for the role because they wanted them all to be sci-fi noobs. And her reasoning was, who better to make fun of science fiction than me? <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's really true. Although I really appreciate this was kind of Sam Rockwell's break into sci-fi. And it's so weird to watch his role and then just every now and then stop and go, this was the guy in Moon. And he's completely freaking out and just hysterical. And be like, this was the guy in Moon. This was the guy in Moon. I also like the kind of meta commentary of having Sigourney Reaver, who has played some of the best written female science fiction parts, having to play off of this, like, horribly written female part. (laughs) I just kind of love it. Like, you had Sigourney Weaver in your show, or rather, whatever her real name is in this, and you had her be Tawny Madison, (laughs) (laughs) and she's, like, repeating after the computer I just find that extremely funny. And she does such a good job of, like, mocking the misogyny. It's pretty great. Well, that's what I think is so brilliant about this film, right? Because they're poking fun at Star Trek, but they're also poking fun at the culture surrounding Star Trek. Like, they're, they're obviously making fun of the bad writing. And the how she's just repeating the computer. Obviously, she has one dro- job and she's going to do it. But <laughs> also, right at the start is the line, my TV Guide interview was six paragraphs about my boobs and how they fit into my suit. Mm-hmm. I remember reading those interviews with the women of Trek in TV Guide. <laughs> like, yeah. Those were real things. And they can point it out and be funny, but also make you go, oh, yeah, that that's a, a real thing. It's a real thing. And at the same time, have her tits be out for, like, a solid third of the movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, there's a deleted scene where they explain why they're out, but it's pretty ridiculous. And I'm glad they cut it. I mean, it's funnier the way it is. It's really the same joke as, I see you've got your shirt off. Like, mm-hmm. it's that yeah. joke. <laughs> it doesn't need explanation. <laughs> it's very funny. It makes me laugh. Everything about her character makes me laugh. And I think she is kind of the uh, voice of reason through the whole thing, which is great. And she's just got such a solid presence that kind of holds them all together. Plus, Sigourney Weaver really is underrated in her ability to give a comedic performance, which she totally gets to do and is great. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Put Sigourney Weaver in more things. Yeah. Or just all the things. Sigourney Weaver forever. Sigourney Weaver 2020. (laughs) Also, Alan Rickman forever. Oh my gosh. He's Uh. like this, this weird amalgamation of like Patrick Stewart and Leonard Nimoy, Mm -hmm. right? Because he's the, the serious British actor, but he's also like the logical sciencey alien. Yeah. And it's just so wonderful. I'm guessing that Alan Rickman, as a Shakespearean-trained actor, has had no shortage of interactions with these great classically trained performers who just can't believe the cards they've been dealt as far as popular performances. Because it um, it reads so true. And Patrick Stewart being like, oh yeah, that was totally me season one of TNG. (laughs) I was like, I am classically trained and I am wearing a onesie, staring (laughs) into a green screen, 
this is my life now. How did it come to this? <sighs> it's so good. I also just love how he wears the headpiece the whole time. I know it's like <laughs> partly a device because they all have to be wearing their uniforms at the convention or else they wouldn't be wearing their uniforms on the ship. Yeah. But uh, it's funny when, like, even him and, like, uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver's Gwen is, like, in her bathrobe and he's just, like, in his, still in, like, his headpiece in his hotel as they're talking on the phone. And you're like, you love it. (laughs) (laughs) But that is also now becoming a thing at conventions. Yes, that is true. Get your photo up with them in makeup. Yep. But I don't think it really, like, I mean, and certainly you wouldn't see, I've never seen an entire cast all in costumes and signing autographs that way. And, you know, and like they're wearing the costumes a lot more than you would normally see at conventions. Mm -hmm. Well, that definitely is playing up the weirdness of the whole thing for the doesn't actually go to conventions portion of the audience, which is probably a big part of it. Yeah. And I mean, of course, with the the Alan Rickman stuff where um, the whole thing with Quillick and the, mm-hmm. the moment where he changes and decides that he's going to say the line and everyone <laughs> cries. I think a article, I'm trying to remember who wrote it, but there was an article in Cracked ranking some of the funniest performances of all times from the perspective of their writing staff there. And I think they voted one of the funniest ones of all time was just Alan Rickman's delivery of the line when they're having to do the electronic store opening. <laughs> By Does hammer. What, what a savings. <laughs> Just seeing the light go out of his eyes. <laughs> it's so funny. And um, it really shows Alan Rickman range. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, there are dramatic actors and there are comedic actors and then there are actors. Oh, that dude had such range. Right. So like he can give that line, what a savings. And it's like got so much like the bitterness in it, but it's so funny. And then when he says it later, it is genuinely heartbreaking. And like he says it so perfectly and you're just like, yeah. By Grabthar's <laughs> hammer, and like it works, and I just, I just think that's beautiful that you can have that one performance encompass the same line in such different contexts and have them work perfectly both times. It's so great. They could have really messed up if they had put a subpar actor in that role. Oh yeah. Although that could have been a different kind of funny. Yeah, it's true. They were just a terrible actor the whole time. <laughs> So there's an article on a website called Rogue's Portal called Galaxy Quest, a celebration of Star Trek fandom. And this article sort of posits that one of the main stories and or themes of the film is the actor's journey to embrace the fandom. Because at the beginning of the film, we see them like, this is just a job. They show up, they're signing the autographs. This is how they're making their money. They couldn't care less. And by the end, they're seeing what they've inspired people to do, and really coming to care about them. Whether it's Alan Rickman, you know, really wanting to avenge the Thermian, or the kids telling them how the ship works so the fans can save the day. I love that so much. It's just really kind of poignant when you think about it that way, which you don't expect from a sci-fi comedy. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely don't expect, especially in a movie that's whole concept is... It's about Trekkies, but not really, and about Star Trek, but not really. You expect there's going to be a lot more of the finger pointing of, oh, look at the dweebs. And it really is just such a love note. It's not all that judgmental. It's affectionate, really. Whereas we have actual documentaries like Trekkie that are very much like, oh, man, look at these weirdos. I, yeah, I was thinking when I was watching the movie, I was like, really, this this whole movie is about how the show is real and mm-hmm. not necessarily real in the sense of, Oh, the na- like they're talking later. The ship is re- no, I mean like it's real to people and it means something yeah. to them and the effects that it has on everybody's lives is completely real. And it's like this long journey of everything becoming real. And it's, I just think it's such a, cool idea and so beautiful it's also part of the beauty of having the denouement of the movie be them crashing into a convention and coming out 
like in costume and all that and them being like oh my god it's real and the audience it was real to them all along yeah that's why they don't even like really they they like her but they're not surprised yeah <laughs> also can we talk for a minute about i'm definitely gonna say his name wrong but enrico uh colantini's performance as mathazar oh uh. supposedly the entire sort of way of speaking for the aliens was him we need your help okay so enrico colantoni is one of my favorite actors of all time if you are only aware of him in this movie as mathazar you need to see some of his other stuff including what i think is his best performance in veronica mars as keith mars and as a bad guy and a really good one on person of interest he has a really great recurring role on person of interest that is just chilling it's chilling but it's like yeah he's so good and he's such a good actor and i feel like he's super underrated so i'm glad that people love him in this movie but also you should definitely go check him out in some other things because he's brilliant he also got to play gianni versace in a lifetime original movie about the (laughs) versace family that felt like the kind of trivia i'd whip out for this but his performance really is very important because like it's he goes so over the top weird with it which is obviously he's trying to make it as alien as possible but you still definitely feel for the character and you you don't want him to be disappointed right and like he has such heart that even when he's being super weird and even when even when they don't know he's really an alien it's still so endearing like, even even if yeah. you just thought he was some weird nerd, he would be still so cute, you know? <laughs> and then, like, how much he cares about his people and, like, the true emotion that his character holds is is so good. And it's really important because the entire arc, I guess, of Tim Allen's character hinges on the fact that he cares, he ends up caring about this guy for real. And he can't abandon him to his fate you know and that is so great and he is so great i love this movie so much (laughs) so i think this is the first movie appearance of missy pyle who's a fabulous character actress and she she shows it off very well in this and just her big-eyed stare and how much she's able to say with it one thing I've always loved about Missy Pyle as an actress is she's mostly a comedic actress, but the thing is, is she's also, like, model. So... Yes, she is. She's, like, ridiculously she's gorgeous. gorgeous, but then, like, she... All of her roles are, like, super weird and out there, and her comedy is very, like, hardcore physical comedy, and it's lovely to see someone not take themselves so seriously. Like, the number of... Time she's had a performance where she has like a unibrow or something is it's pretty great. I do wish that you know we have Laliari. I I can't remember how yeah. Laliari. I think yeah. Laliani, whatever her name is, and then mm-hmm. and then we have Sigourney Weaver. That's really the only two female characters. Yeah, apparently they realized how much how much of the script. Uh, with a woman character was only Sigourney Weaver's character, so they expanded on Missy Pyle's character some more to try and make up for that. It's still not great, though. Yeah, but it's like, she's still just a love interest character, really. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, she wasn't going to be, and that's how they expanded it. Which, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think that the scene where she's making out with Tech Sergeant Chen after the (laughs) transporter thing is amazing. Um, And I love that she stays with them. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, it wouldn't be our show if we didn't, you know, mention it. No, this movie does not pass the Bechdel Wallace test. There's one scene where Gwen and Liliani have lines like one after another, but it seems like uh, Laliani is talking to the group. Yeah. So they're not like having a conversation. And I think... The only other maybe speaking part is that dude's mom. Yeah. Or the fangirl asking about whether there was a romance going on between Sigourney Weaver and Tim Allen's characters on their show. Yeah, it's like the the female parts are very small. Now, part of that is definitely a meta commentary. 
Mm-hmm. because I we think hope whole, let's hope that no but like it definitely is because Sigourney Weaver's character is very obviously supposed to be Uhura like and Uhura is the only yeah. female character so like there's there's definitely a part of that but yeah but like for instance in the group of nerds that end up saving the day there's like one young woman and she really doesn't say much and there there would have been they could have like swapped one of the guys out so I think that they also were trying to do a meta commentary on fandom and the there's a stereotype that the fandom is male dominated. Um I mean certainly like having the MCs at a convention be man, men that would be pretty accurate, but in the fan community um having some more of those speaking roles go to women would not have been remiss. I will say that I did notice right off the bat that they do the first like panning shot over the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first convention scene, and I was actually quite like there. There were a lot of women in that shot, and there were black women in that shot, and they were dressed mm-hmm. up. And I thought that was pretty cool. It was like just crowd diversity is something that people don't really think about very much, but crowd diversity is a good way to like set the tone right away. Yeah, for sure. There's also like some background scenes like the one where um uh Tim Allen comes up to Scurney Weaver when she's doing those shots with the cosplayer of her character and st- cosplayers of her character. So that is totally stuff that happens now. It's so cute. This idea of the stereotype of fandom is something that is not recent. No. In boldly writing, uh Joan Marie Verba even points out that at that point the idea of the Trekkie was so like fanatical and they they were seen as specifically Trekkie as a person who was sort of distanced from reality, who didn't know the difference between the show and their life. And that's when Trekker came into being. But part of that stereotype was that, you know, your Star Trek fan, your Trekkie, was a teenage boy. And those were the type of people who attended conventions when, in fact, the majority of fans attending conventions were women over the age of 21. So there's always been this disconnect between what the outside society thinks what a Star Trek fan is and what a Star Trek fan actually is when represented within that community. Yes, absolutely. There's a difference between uh, what the fandom is and what the normie perception is. Yes. And even some some fans' perception of themselves, really. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Who here hasn't met a Trekkie who felt like they were supposed to be embarrassed about admitting they were a Star Trek fan? Oh, yes. Who here was not that Trekkie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we'd be here if we were. I mean, to be fair, I never was, but I didn't come into a fa- the fandom in, in the normal way. Uh, we all We all come into it honest. One of the reasons why I avoided Star Trek is I once told somebody, I was like, I I know that I'll love it too much, and then I'll end up at a convention with fracking Spock ears, and that's <laughs> what's going to happen, so I need to, cause I, and then finally I was like, okay, it's time to bite the bullet, and now I don't have Spock ears, but I do have a tattoo, so like, I knew it. <laughs> I, I knew it, and I was right, but I'm not ashamed. I have three pairs of Spock ears, so you can have one of mine. <laughs> Would you like one of my three pairs? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So when we're talking about this film, we've kind of been jumping all over the place. But specifically, what does Galaxy Quest have to say about Star Trek? That it's inspiring. The good guys win. Mm. That in spite of its flaws, there's still good things to draw from it. And that it doesn't detract from those if you acknowledge those flaws. That a crew is more than just the captain. That mm. the idea that Tony Shaloub could be Asian is a joke in and of itself. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was, it just reminded me. Tony Shaloub has talked a lot in interviews. And the one that pops to mind for me specifically is NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. But he, he talks all the time about how when he was growing up, he was in a very white community. And he was like the closest thing to a person of color. You know, like, he he was the most color of a person of color in his community. He's a swarthy chap, but right. that's a stretch. So, like, when he was in the theater department, any time a, a show called for, you know, a POC, he was cast in the role. Oh, my god! <laughs> like, anybody. <laughs> so I, I wonder 
how much input he had into that. Like, yeah, cast me as an ethnicity that I clearly am not in because that's my entire life. At least they didn't have him, like, say I'm Korean or, like, (laughs) yeah, you know, try to mimic it in any way. It was literally just his name. So it could have been, like, some sort of... And him saying, that's not even my real name at one point. Yeah, I do love how he's basically stoned and carrying around that bag of snacks the entire movie. <laughs> I appreciate that a lot. Like, even when they're they're getting the sphere and he's, like, carrying the paper bag in his mouth. <laughs> I just really love how chill he is when everybody else is, like, freaking out. He's just like, what's wrong with them? <laughs> he's so ready to embrace it. That's cool. He's like, oh, right again. Come on, bring it in. Bring it in. <laughs> I also like that whenever they have the scenes where he's doing his engineer thing, he's like, yeah, this happened. They're saying this. He's like, right? I said that right, right? Okay. Bring it in, guys. Big group hug. I I really want to channel that energy all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And according to the audio commentary for the first of the J.J. Trek movies, the bit of him seeing the girl and being like, nope, now I can save the day. Uh, apparently him getting to have that huge save was an inspiration uh, for the whole... I, I don't I never know quite how to describe it, aside from drill diving <laughs> scene in um, in the new... in the first of the J.J. Trek movies. That's funny. <laughs> uh, but funny. Uh, the other thing I was going to say before we kind of moved off of it of what is this movie saying about Star Trek. It's saying that like how people see you can affect how you see yourself. So like a huge Mm -hmm. part of this movie is these actors who don't think very much of themselves and then like Mm -hmm. having someone believe in them helps them become better people. And that's kind of what that whole thing is, is like having Missy Pyle looking at you lovingly, apparently can make you feel like you're a really strong dude that can do anything. <laughs> and, like, that plays out on a much larger scale over the plot of the movie, and I've always found it very nice. And it's one reason why, you know, like, at the very beginning, Taggart, Naismith, I can never remember which name is which. Tim Allen's dude. Tim Allen plays Jason Nesmith, who plays Peter Quincy Taggart. <laughs> yeah, whatever. That. Tim Allen overhearing that you know people are making fun of him why that hits him so hard because his validation is all external Mm -hmm. so then having you know good external validation helps him become a better person but yeah you see that throughout the movie and I don't know I think it's an interesting theme especially when you're talking about actors yeah because actors are very much they're they're trained to react to how other people like to other people like that's how half their craft works is reacting to another person in their scene and uh, and tailoring that to people Uh you know and that can make you very emotionally fragile sometimes well it can also make you kind of a jerk sometimes (laughs) (laughs) well i think that the convention they show us and the huge crowds they show us the popularity of the show and then that it comes back for basically its next generation is saying that there are always people who are looking to hope for the future. Mm-hmm. And if we keep trying, we can keep doing better. Yeah. They got to make more sacred texts. Mm-hmm. Historical documents. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right. So then what does Galaxy Quest have to say about fans and Star Trek fan culture? That we rock? They are not wasting their time. Yeah. <laughs> oh. That we can save the universe in between, you know, taking out the trash. <laughs> Sometimes we get outside. Yeah. He went outside. We have friends. We we have stuff we do. It's It's mostly very, you know, specifically sci-fi related, but we do stuff. I mentioned it a little bit before that it's these, these this kid fan group that saves the day. But mm-hmm. because of this show, right, I'm, we're getting deep into this now, but because of this show, these characters have gone out and learned the skills necessary to do this. Yeah. And it's, you know, a bit of an extrapolation, but you can see a parallel with all of the fans of Star Trek throughout the years who 
you know, because of Dr. McCoy became a doctor, because of Spock became a scientist, because of, of Kirk became an explorer. And all of the fans who were inspired to do different things, to pursue different interests because of Star Trek. Or even, um, like fan experts like Robin Stewart, who's the woman who was the foremost Klingon expert who then got hired to do the Klingon coaching on Discovery. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not, it doesn't always lead us to like, you know, become people who are going to revolutionize a scientific field, but sometimes does. And that's awesome. But sometimes also just like the time and effort you put into being a, an expert on part of Star Trek can come back and make you friends and help you educate people on different aspects of the fandom. And sometimes you get to go and teach people how to speak Klingon on a new series. <laughs> I mean, if you go even more basic, like, look how many people made friends that way. Yeah, and that alone is something to be proud of. Yeah. And certainly, like, in the early con scenes, you know, they're the only thing that people really admire about Jason Nesmith is that he's good with the fans. And you can see him, like, he is patient with them, and he's telling them stories that they're gonna, you know, think are funny, and that they're gonna laugh at, and he's, like, he's entertaining them, and not just like, ugh. I can't believe I'm forced to be here at this convention. Mm-hmm. You know, why are you wasting your time? Go get a life. Give me my money. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the message is that, like, you know, regardless of what you're passionate about, that that is something that's valuable and worthy of some, you know, uh, of respect and um, care. Plus, it's fun. Yeah. If you're doing fandom correct, you're you're you should be having fun. I think sometimes where we start to get into the dark side of fandom is when it does not become fun anymore. You know, when people take it so seriously and they're so rigid that they don't remember that this is all a TV show that we just we like and we want to enjoy. I'm really glad that was not part of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. glad. Because I don't know how you make that funny, really, but... Mm. It's it's only funny for a minute, and then it becomes really depressing. <laughs> Anytime someone's good time is dependent on someone else having a bad time. Ugh. Yeah. You know something that we haven't talked very much about is the plots that were kind of taken from Star Trek that they used to comedic effect? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked briefly about the Grignac, but were there any others that people, like, really liked or thought were really funny? I just appreciated the Chompers so much and her going, this is a bad idea! This makes no sense! <laughs> it was badly written! I hope the writer of this episode dies! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't remember too much of the Enterprise having, like, booby traps in it in quite that way. <laughs> I don't know, they had, that, they had that elevator where you weren't supposed to use the handrail. That was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, Sad. I certainly, I thought that the rudimentary lathe comment <laughs> was, um, uh, like, was sort of an uh, homage to Arena. But, like, oh, totally. you look around and you might be able to construct a thing. Well, because at the time he was fighting a space lizard, so the whole thing was Arena, yeah. really. But Yes. Which is, yeah. by the way, the rudimentary lathe is my favorite line in the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> you fashion some sort of rudimentary lathe is brilliant beyond belief and Sam Rockwell is a genius and the whole thing is wonderful <laughs> and I literally laughed until I cried today at that part ah so funny there are points when you're watching and you go yeah he earned his Oscar yeah he did should have gotten it for this Right. Also, I think this happened in more than one episode, but where Tim Allen and Alan Rickman are like fighting to throw off the guards and um, like making them think they're fighting with each other. I mean, yes. we did just witness a version of that in the Enterprise incident that we watched Yo. for our watch along last night, where Spock and Kirk, like Spock and Kirk, are yelling, well, Kirk's yelling at Spock to like try yeah. to deceive the Romulan commander into thinking that they hates each other. Mm-hmm. I hate you, Spock. I hate you. And there are a bunch of little things they threw into that aren't necessarily plot points taken from Trek, but like Saris's eye patch is a nod to General Chang from Star Trek fi- or six. Ooh, oh, five. Yeah. Six. <laughs> Undiscovered Country. Guy Fliegman was named after Guy Vardaman, who played several no name characters on Next Gen. 
uh, including occasionally standing in for Brent Spiner and Will Wheaton. Well, I mean, Guy Guy in general is a good example of this because he's a red shirt. Yes. Yep. He's a self-aware red shirt, which means he's constantly <laughs> horrified. Let's get out of here before they kill Guy. <laughs> oh, this movie is so brilliant. <laughs> also, we haven't really talked a lot about Daryl Hall's character, but was he supposed to sort of be a little bit of Wesley, but by the fact that like, he was... Daryl Mitchell, yeah? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yes. yes. Uh, not Daryl Hall and John Oates. <laughs> I'm glad we brought him up. He He's the only member of the main cast we haven't talked about, and he's an underrated performer. Yeah. What, like, was he supposed to, or I don't know, I was like, he could kind of be a bit Wesley-ish because he's, like, basically a little kid navigator prodigy. Oh, that's totally what I got from it, that he was he was the cute child and now he's an adult. To be Wesley and Jordy. But, like, did you notice when they're at the point where they're talking about how they fixed everyone their favorite meal he's got like a freaking ice cream sundae and french fries <laughs> i also love how when they introduce him to the aliens they go how you've grown <laughs> <laughs> so there's a quote from will wheaton uh and he says i loved galaxy quest i thought it was a brilliant satire not only of trek but of fandom in general the only thing i wish they had done was cast me in it and have me play a freaky fanboy who keeps screaming at the actor who played the kid about how awful it was that there was a kid on a spaceship. <laughs> I feel like Tommy, Tommy's the character's name, yes. but I feel like he was a bit of a, a mishmash of like a Wesley Crusher and then like an 80s TV black sitcom kid uh-huh. from like the pedal to the metal <laughs> captain and like the... Like a little bit Webster. <laughs> yeah. It was adorable. I don't think he 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 stands out as much as the others just because everyone else is so amazing and has yeah. more I guess nuance and also probably just more screen time, but my favorite part with him is when <laughs> when he breaks his arm and he <laughs> is it Mathazar who picks him up at, like bodily picks him up and he's just like screeching. That's <laughs> 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 so also, for the record, he was in a movie they filmed at my high school. <laughs> uh, is that 10 record. Things I Hate About You? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, he plays the English teacher in that. Oh, he was great. <laughs> I don't even really think we could consider him the weak link. Like, he's just as good. It's just a smaller part. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the problem with an ensemble cast. Some people are more ensemble than others. Yeah. Also, Robin Sachs as Saris. Freaking Ethan Rain from Buffy. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't even realize under all that makeup until I saw that IMDb, but... Right? Saris in general is an interesting villain because he really has no reason to be horrible. He's just being a douche. And I kind of find that endearing. Like, there's no real motivation he just is like they have something and i want it he's such an intense mishmash of sci-fi villains that that's the only way you can go with it it's like, i just want to be mean to them and kill them and make them sad <laughs> and make them realize their favorite tv show isn't real <laughs> well when he realizes that he th- that's where the real evil comes from yeah. right like you've done more harm than i ever could He's the gatekeeper! Oh my god, you guys, he's the gatekeeper! Holy crap! He's also a horror movie villain because he keeps dying and coming back for one last (laughs) shot. He's Michael Myers, the gatekeeper. But also, like, that, the work on the costume and the special effects and, I mean, his costume is prosthetics, and then the special effects in general hold up really well. Yeah, Yeah, they've uh, they've got his costume up here in Seattle at Mopop, and it's pretty impressive up close. It holds up. So much so that you could say he inspired some Zindi reptilians. Mm. Yeah. You could say that. (laughs) You'll get there, Andy. I believe you. (laughs) You'll get there and then wish you hadn't. See, the thing is, is it had to look good because part of the joke is how crappy the Galaxy Mm -hmm. Quest looks. So, like, Mm -hmm. for it to, it had to look good, you know? Otherwise... I mean, I guess it could have been funny that way, too, but, like, it's better this way. 
Oh, yeah, I agree. I just mean that if you look back at the Star Trek that was being made at the time, and obviously this would have had a much larger budget than, like, the average episode of Voyager or Enterprise, this holds up a lot better. Mm -hmm. I really liked the special effects of, like, the goo and then, then, like, shooting through the planets, because Mm -hmm. can you imagine how terrifying it would be? (laughs) But it also just looked really good. It's also neat when you remember that uh, one of the screenwriters, let me see which one, Robert Gordon also was the screenwriter for uh, Men in Black 2, where you also get some neat space or just physical space travel, albeit via water slide, but still. I also liked uh, Saris's ship. Yeah, that was like the hollowed out planet thing. Mm. That was cool. Also, let's not forget that this was Rain Wilson's first movie. But yeah, our our current Harry Mudd, his first big role. But can we talk about the marketing they did for this film a little bit? <gasps> oh my gosh, the website. Yes. <laughs> so they created this website that was like a fan website for Galaxy Quest. Yeah. Tara, you spent more time on it than I did. I mean, it's amazing. It's got like basically, so it's set up like an old GeoCities page. And, uh, so, like, you can still go to it, but, um, it doesn't, like, it's archived, but it doesn't all, and all the pieces don't work anymore. But it has, like, an intentionally terrible design that, uh, looks a lot like my very first, uh, Law and Order fanfiction website that I made from <laughs> HTML, uh, by teaching myself that when I was 11. First, there were multiples. Uh, well, I, I redid it several times. <laughs> It also has, like, fake episode uh, synopsis by a fan. So it's called Travis Latke's Galaxy Quest. So the fake fan is named Travis Latke. It has one of those, like, old site counters. It uh, has, like, you know, late-breaking news and, like, terrible tiny little images and animations and there's a a screensaver you can download, but it's all, like, engineered to look like a terrible fan website and it is the best um so we'll share the link in our show notes that's funny they also created a mockumentary uh that aired on e entertainment television about like the cultural impact of the galaxy quest tv series so (laughs) all of the actors are in character as the actors (laughs) just talking about acting as actors yes just talking like doing the, the talking head interviews you see on all of these features about Star Trek. And it is wonderful and ridiculous and available on YouTube. That's amazing. I'm going to have to look that up. The link is in our notes. <laughs> also, if you were just a big fan of this story specifically and the characters, there's a comic book also. It's by Eric Burnham, who is pretty good. So check it out. Sweet. <laughs> well, And there have been... Multiple rumors about a Galaxy Quest TV show coming to us. Apparently there was talks for a sequel until uh, up until Alan Rickman's death, mm-hmm. which would kind of put a hinder on things. Right, and as far as I know, that's where things stalled, because there were talks of a, a film sequel and there were talks of a TV series. I don't know. I don't even feel like it needs one. No, it really does stand alone on its own very well. I mean, I get it, like... It's a good thing, so you want more of it. But we've seen how well that can go. It's just so good. It's just so perfect the way it is. And and believe us, if if any group of fans knows about taking a good thing and drawing it out longer than it has to, Star Trek fans have seen some stuff. They <laughs> really have. This movie is one of my absolute favorites. And I hadn't seen it in a couple years, and rewatching it today, it's just so much fun. I just love it so much because it's so funny, but it's also like real, like the emotions are real and it Mm -hmm. says some real things about art and about fandom and about family and like loving each other. And I just love it. It's so good. 10 out of 10. 10 lathes out of 10 lathes? (laughs) 10 rudimentary lathes. (laughs) Oh! Well, speaking about family and loving each other. I just want to point out how supportive what's-his-name's parents are. Yeah. 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 Like, they want him to take out the trash, yes, but they also, like, 
they know that maybe their son is not the most popular kid in school. Okay, honey, have fun with your thing. Yeah, they don't try and change him. They they encourage him to do his thing. You know, maybe they're a little bit happy that he's outside and that's a bit of a joke. <laughs> but, like, they're not hoping that he's he's someone else. I mean, they're they're in the movie very briefly. But from what we see of them, they are supportive of their kid and his interests. And that's important. And nice. And I wish I had had that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want to hear a couple of the fake episode synopses from the website? Yes. yes absolutely. Okay. The two lovers of Medusa, playing mediator between the warring Gedonks and the Sazbats. <laughs> Sazbats. It's spelled S-S-A-Z-Z-B-A-T-T-S. Oh, wow. Commander Taggart becomes the object of affection for each of the opposing female leaders. Unfortunately for the commander, both Gedonk and Sazbat lovers dismember their mates after copulation. <laughs> to save the universe from another cataclysmic war, they. as well as his well-worn fanny, Taggart <laughs> has to make both females lose interest in him, escape from the planet Medusa in one piece, and still broker a peace accord. Wow. So basically, Angel One plus Favorite Son plus... <laughs> and the prom's um, tomorrow! It it reminds me of like an animated series episode. Ah, uh, they they really hit the nail on the head. The men are in another compound. <laughs> I also like the hair shirt. After the NSEA protector chases a Zatchsky battle barge into a polluted wormhole, the crew of the ship find themselves plagued with accelerated hair growth. Fortunately, Doctor Lazarus must must. Find an antidote before the ship's drains clog for good. <laughs> that does sound like that sounds like such a TNGP plot. Yep. Oh my. Yeah, they're pretty good. Um, again, we will share the link in the show notes, but it is there's some that you can basically tell it's like they just replace the names from Star Trek episodes <laughs> and change the aliens to sound slightly sillier. Man. Only someone who loves Star Trek that much can roast it so hard. It's true. <laughs> but still love it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, at no point in this movie am I offended. A roasting like that takes intense love. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Even when Sigourney Weaver and Tim Allen kiss at the end, and the girls faint in the convention, like, I know I'm being called out, but I still love it. I, I'm not going to pretend I did not think of you in that moment, Sue. <laughs> I legitimately was like, what if that, what if Gates and Jean-Luc made out in front of a convention hall? What would happen? And I was like, there would be screaming. They've done it more than once. <laughs> and there is. <laughs> I did think that, like, Tawny Madison is clearly, like, kind of Uhura-ish, but she's kind of Gates-ish, too. Mm -hmm. Something about her design, her hair, she kind of looks like her. The cheekbones help, too. See, and I, I've i always felt there was some Troy in her, too, with repeating the computer. Oh, because oh, yeah. early Troy just does so much. He's angry, Captain. <laughs> ah. Mm -hmm. All right. Do we have any final thoughts to share on Galaxy Quest this evening? Never give up. Never surrender. And do we have any final thoughts to share about the last 100 episodes of Women at Warp this evening? Holy crap. We, we've been talking for over 100 hours. Right. And then that doesn't even count our supplemental episodes and our patron content. Oh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. I love you guys. I love, I love you guys. You too. And our audience, we love you. Yeah. I don't know you all, but I'm sure you're great. Obviously, you have very good taste if you're listening, so we've got that in common already. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to the next 100. <laughs> oh, I'm tired just thinking about it. I'm also <laughs> excited. We're going to have to make our own parody movie if another one hasn't come out between... Yeah, they keep talking about the Galaxy Quest TV show or a Galaxy Quest movie sequel and remake and... I don't know. I don't know that I need another one. I think they remake everything now, and I feel like a a TV show could work maybe because it could be different. But I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like it's old enough to need to be remade yet. That's never stopped them before. 
I was getting at is that we should make our own parody of ourselves. Yes. Oh, That's yeah. what we're going to do for the 100th episode. We're going to do our own yes. parody version of Women at Warp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Call it Girls at Impulse. <laughs> it sounds like it's something slightly different. <laughs> Ladies at light speed. Ooh. That's not that, bad. That's a good that's one. That's our, our Star Wars podcast. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hope that people are ready for me on a Star Wars podcast in which I just talk about Rogue One. <laughs> <laughs> like, there are other movies in Star Wars? I don't think so. That doesn't seem right. Also, did they ever make action figures of Galaxy Quest? Because I want them now. <laughs> so. That's what kit bashing is for. Yep. <laughs> I don't care if they're custom. Someone should make some. I mostly just want a Dr. Lazarus, to be honest, but I don't really need a Tim Allen action figure. I mean, he's great in this movie, but... I feel like he'd have to pay me to own a Tim Allen action <laughs> yeah. figure. <laughs> and he'd have to pay me more every day. <laughs> there do seem to be some collectibles over on Entertainment Earth, but we're not going to delve into that right now. No, I'll do that on my own time. <laughs> Yes, but I think we are done for this evening. So, Jara, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin or just past the Chompers. <laughs> Grace? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank and trying to figure out if Grabthar's hammer is a location or an object. And Andy? Easiest place to find me is on Twitter, at First Time Tracker. I am spending my time trying to fashion a rudimentary lathe. <laughs> and I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Speltor, that's S-P-A-L-T-O-R, or trying to locate a beryllium sphere. Uh, to reach the show, you can find us on Twitter at Women at Warp, on Facebook at Women at Warp, or even Instagram at Women at Warp. Uh, you can find our show notes and blog at womenatwarp.com, and send us an email to crew at womenatwarp.com. For more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Mm-hmm.